Good morning, Luke 418 Fellowship. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we would love for you to fill out the welcome card that's in the seat back pocket right in front of you. Uh, If you do that, you'll get a little bit more information about uh, our fellowship here. And uh, we we love that you are here. Whether you're a visitor, if you've been here for years and years, if you are in Christ, we are the family of God. Amen? And it is Him that we serve. And He has given us His Word and His will and His way so that we might experience His grace, His mercy, and His peace. And that's uh, how we'll start our our time today, uh, celebrating the God that we serve. Would you welcome our choir as we begin today?
thank you for being here today. As Aaron shared, we are, want to welcome all of those that are visitors and guests here today. Thank you for being a part uh, here in worship. I have a few announcements with you um, or for you today. Uh, as many of you know, we are going to be serving this Saturday, August 27th, down on Texas Street for the Mobile Baptist Association. Love for you to come and be a part. We still need uh, some zero-turn mowers. Like I said, I've got a push mower, but that may take a few days to get that done. So if you could come and be a part, we'd love for you to. You can sign up at the table in the lobby. Also, we have our marriage conference coming up on October 28th through the 30th in Destin, Florida. Love for you to come and be a part with us. That will go all the way through Sunday. I'll be coming back for worship to teach, but I am encouraging everybody who goes to stay all the way through the end of the conference. Now, we told y'all that there's a discount online and it is now active, so you can now sign up online if you would like to because that discount is now active. This Saturday, we have our Missions Kid fundraiser, um, and so our kids are going to be up here learning about what life is like in the Ukraine for the orphans there. And then afterwards, they're going to set up a lemonade stand in our parking lot to help raise money for those, uh, for the Ukrainian orphans. So, There's going to be one hour, love for you to come through the parking lot to support our children. Now when they leave today, or when you leave today, the children will be handing out these flyers just so that you'll remember that there is a fundraiser or a lemonade stand. I promise it'll be good and sugar-free, right? Um, So come and be a part uh, of that from 12 to 1 o'clock. We have our family fun day at Camp Grace coming up on September 11th from 2 to 7 o'clock. Go on and put that down on your calendar. It's one of the Uh, best events that we have where we just spend time together and there's a lot to do on the lake and and many other activities. And then hot off the press, we have our senior adult road trip coming up in the fall. Many people have asked, David, when are we going to have another senior adult road trip? Well, we had to cancel the last year and the the year before because of COVID related. So this year we're going to be uh, taking a trip here in November. If you would like to sign up for that, you can get all the information in the back and Brother Randy would love to give you all the information. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time today. Uh, Father, I thank you as we sing and worship through song. of You're the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac. You have always been and you always will be. You're the Alpha and the Omega. Before time existed, you were. And so, Father, what a privilege for us as your creation to be able to come today and worship you. What an honor that you know us by name and you care about us. As David said in the Psalms that this thought is too much for me. It overwhelms me. May we be overwhelmed by your presence today, oh God. Father, I pray that we would have clean hands and a pure heart. For who can ascend the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false? And so, Father, today, may we lay our life before you in worship. May we sing praises to you. And most of all, may your name be glorified in and through our lives. And as we leave today, may we glorify your name by proclaiming your gospel, your truth to all those we come in contact with. So Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. It's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Would you say hello to the person next to you? And we'll bring glory to the Father by singing to our King.
God's love, needs the love of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. And everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. Sing this. The hope of nations. Amen. He's our Savior. He's our Lord.
the grave to my sin and my shame. Thank you, Lord. So take so take me as you find all my fears and failures. Fill my life again. Give my His grace goes. His grace extends not only to our friends, but to our enemies. And as long as we're letting Him fight our battles for us, on our knees, we pray to Him. We say, help us to resolve this conflict. Help us be peacemakers because You have made peace with us on the cross. Let's sing this together. When all I see is the battle, You see my victory. When all I see is a mountain, 
pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we can trust you. We know that you love us. We know that you have good plans in place for us. We pray that as we walk through this valley, Lord, that you would be with us as our good shepherd. And that we would be reminded that it was finished at Calvary. It covered our sin. It covered our shame. And it turned us into a child of God. When you see us, we know that you see the righteousness of your son. We pray that we would meditate on your word and do that. That we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word today. That we would be reminded just how far you went for us. And that we would give that out to those that are around us, Lord. We pray that our community would be marked with your name, the name of Jesus that is above every name given all power and all authority that we might be saved. Lord, we thank you for your cross. Lord, we thank you for your life, your example. We pray that we would go out to all the world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. I praise the Lord for the songs that we have sung this morning. I want to take just a moment. I don't know how many of y'all recognize, but when we say that we fight our battles on our knees with our hands lifted high, you begin to think, well, that's, you know, like on our knees and our hands lifted high, that's like bowing down in prayer, right? And we are called to pray. But if you think about it, when you're on your knees with your hands up, what does this mean? What's the universal sign with your hands up? It means surrender, right? We are showing the Lord that we are fully surrendered to His will, to His plans. And so when we sing a song that we fight our battles, we're saying that we're fighting that by total surrender to God. Today, we're going to continue in worship as we open up God's Word. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount today, as we have been for the last seven weeks. We are continuing in the Beatitudes. Now, we have been reading one Beatitude at a time, but today I'm going to pick up in verse 3 and kind of run from verse 3 all the way until verse 9. It says this in the Scripture. As Jesus opened his mouth and to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that without the Holy Spirit illuminating the pages and giving us understanding today, that in our own power we cannot grasp what you are speaking. But Father, we are so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit a promise. And we are desperately dependent upon you today to have ears to hear and a heart to obey. Father, I pray that you would place me on the front row and allow me to hear what you are speaking today. And may I also place this into my life. Father, we love you and praise you for it's in your holy name. The name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we look at this and let me just remind you that the word blessed is also means happy, though it's not the happenstance as we often hear. It's not happiness like we would think. Blessed or happy is the peacemaker. Now, when we begin to think about peace... Uh, many ideas will run to your mind. I decided to look up in the dictionary what the word peace means. And it was interesting that the word peace in the dictionary is the normal, non-warring condition of a nation, group of nation, or the world. I thought that was interesting that it said the normal. Like, this is what the normal man would do, is walk in peace. The problem is, is that could be, uh, that's the furthest from the truth. It also says that it's an agreement between two warring nations to end hostility, to abstain from further fighting. But as God often does it, he opened up my eyes even this morning as I was reading an article from a news source. Our energy secretary said this, I believe just the last few days. My counterpart in Ireland, the energy minister there, has said that no one has ever weaponized access to the sun. No one has ever weaponized the wind. 
Perhaps a move to clean energy will be the greatest peace plan the world has ever known. You know, I I share all that with you to tell you that many people are seeking peace. But the problem is, is that they're seeking peace in all the wrong places. If there is no God, then there is no peace. Let me just say that again. If there is no God, then there is no peace. The first thing I want to look at about peacemakers is that when there's no God, there's no peace. Now, Jesus speaks this to the disciples and those who have gathered. And remember, all of these statements in the Beatitudes have absolutely just flipped upside down what these people were thinking about the kingdom of heaven. Because it was in complete contrast of their society. The Jewish people were looking for a Messiah to come who would set up reign and and basically take over and remove them out of control of the Romans. They wanted a conquering king. Is that not the issue of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? As when they saw Jesus, they were like, you know, Jesus isn't what we're looking for. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the people in the audience had to have been somewhat shocked by this statement. They wanted, as I said, one to conquer. Look at what Jesus even said in John 18, verse 36. And in John 18, 36, Jesus is speaking to Pilate. He's about to go to the cross. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus says here, if, if my kingdom was here, there'd be a fight. But he says, my kingdom is not here. So that's why he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the world view peace, views peace in many different ways. The world often seeks peace by what is best for the individual. What is best for the nation? Isn't it interesting that though we have the United Nations and we have the League of Nations and all these different peace talks, but yet we see war all over the world? Now you may say, but David, we only see war in the Ukraine. There's war going on all over the place. You just don't see it on the news. People talk about peace. They're negotiating peace. But here's the problem. They will never find peace until they get to the root of the problem. I read a uh, pastor who used an illustration. He said, you know, if you, have a, if you have a company upstream and they're polluting the water, if you go downstream and you decide that you're going to fix the polluted water by putting chemicals into the water, you're not doing anything because you're not going to the source. We can talk about peace all day long. We can talk about the need for peace in this world. We can say that green energy will bring about peace. We can say all these different things, but until we get to the heart of the matter, we're not going to find true peace. Let me remind you from last week, Jeremiah chapter 17. uh, Jeremiah is speaking, and he's speaking about the heart. The heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. We have a problem. It's a heart problem. We discussed that last week. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. 
Without a true heart change, there is no true peace. So we recognize that without God, there is no peace. So let's look for a moment at the God of peace. The God of peace. That's who he is. That's who God is. Let me just show you in Romans 16, 20. Let me give you a few verses here. In Romans 16, 20, the God of what? Peace will soon crush Satan under his feet or under your feet. You know, we just sang a song at the beginning. Um, what was the name of it, Aaron? The very first song, Sing to the King. I'll never forget when it first came out. I was actually a college student at one day with passion, with Louis Giglio. And that song came out, and they were singing this song. And, and all of a sudden, that line came up that Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. And I'm telling you, we were out in this field singing. There was thousands of college students and we went crazy. Like we were so excited. Why? Because the God of peace will crush Satan. That's who he is. It's not just simply an attribute of God. It's who he is. When you talk about God is love, it's not an attribute. It's who he is. Look at what it says in Isaiah 9, 6, talking about Jesus. Let's just walk through the Trinity for a minute. God is the God of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Ever Eternal Father, and what? Prince of Peace. We see in Galatians 5, 22, when you speak of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Peace. So we see in the Trinity... We see God the Father, that is who he is. He is a God that is peace. We see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that when the fruit of the Spirit comes forth, it is shown by peace in your life. But it's not just the fact that God is the God of peace, but the God of peace also takes action. He takes action. You know, you could say that you're a peaceful person, but are you taking action to bring about peace? Look at what it says in Colossians 1, verse 19 through 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him, through Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven. God takes action. That action is sending his son to die on a cross so that we could be at peace with God. When you think about what does it require for peace, it required Jesus Christ upon the cross. It required Jesus stepping down and being born of a virgin, being a sinless man on this earth, and praise God, going to the cross, dying for our sins, and being raised on the third day. That action is summed up in, in Isaiah where it talks about the suffering servant. servant. And he says in Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement for our what? Peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. We are healed. Church, do you recognize first that God is the God of peace? That's who he is. And that he took action so that mankind, his creation, could be at peace with God. He did that through His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. 
I like to look at it within the realm of the Trinity. God the Father sent his Son. Jesus went all the way to the cross and died. And the Holy Spirit, it says the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit took action so that we could have peace with God. This is very important because without peace with God, we can't have peace in this world. We can't have peace with other people. So we see that without God, there is no peace. We see that God is the God of peace. Now let's take a few moments and let's talk about us individually. When we know God, K-N-O-W, then we will truly know peace. Now, there is two beams to the cross. I'm going to point back over here to the cross behind the baptistry. There is a beam that is vertical, and there's a beam that is horizontal. When Jesus went to the cross, he made peace between us and God vertically. But he also allowed, through the blood on the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection, for us to make peace with one another horizontally. So let's look first at the vertical beam, peace with God. How do we, if if God made a way through Jesus for us to have peace with him, then how do we make peace with God? Have you ever heard somebody say, They've gotten a diagnosis that that maybe they're only going to be a a few months, few years before they may pass away. And they say, I've made peace with God. I've made peace with God. Well, the scripture kind of speaks of this. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. First, it says that if while we were enemies, you may want to underline that, enemies, we were reconciled to God. That word reconcile also means peace. Peace and reconcile are kind of the same word to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, he, we shall be saved by his life. For us to have peace with God, we first have to recognize that we're an enemy of God. Now you may say, David, that's a harsh statement, but it all took place in Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit that they were not called to eat of, sin entered this world, and through sin, death entered this world. In that moment, we became slaves to the enemy. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 speaks of that. When Paul was reminding them who they once were, he was telling the Ephesian saints, he said, hey, listen, you once were children of wrath. You once were enslaved to the enemy. You once followed the way of the enemy. You did what the father, your father did, which was the father of all lies. See, we've got to recognize that we are enemies to God before salvation. And that comes about by the fact that we're sinners. I've had people share with me before that they want to believe in God, but they don't believe they're a sinner. And I said, well, then why do you need God? Why do you need a Savior? Until you admit that you're a sinner, an enemy of the cross, an enemy of God. Until we admit that, why do we need the Savior but look back at Romans 5.1, just kind of go back a few verses there. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God made a way through Jesus for us to have peace with him. It's the gospel. 
Isn't that interesting that in Ephesians chapter 6, when speaking of spiritual warfare, Paul tells the Ephesian saints again, put on the readiness of the gospel of what? Peace. Put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. See, the gospel tells us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. Praise God that Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. He is the propitiation. He took our sin upon Him and gave us His righteousness. Church, are you at peace with God? Do you have peace knowing that you have submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Are you at peace with God knowing that Jesus paid for your sin debt upon the cross? Are you at peace with God knowing that God raised Him from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have peace with God, we have peace in our heart. When we have peace with God, we have peace in our heart. We are all called to live in the peace of God. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. As we have peace in our heart, we're going to be peacemakers. We're going to speak peace. We're going to be people of peace. Let me read to you Philippians 4, 7. Actually, I'm going to go back just a few verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Let me just say it this way. The peace of God that surpasses all man's thoughts, all man's ability of reasoning, will guard your what? Heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul then continues on and he says, and think on these things. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And then listen, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Church, We have peace in our heart when we're at peace with God. Why? Because we know that we've been forgiven. We know that God has given us the Holy Spirit. We know that God is in control. We have peace because we know that nothing can take us out of His hands. We have peace because we know that greater is He that is in us than he that's in the world. We have peace because we know that God has given us a purpose and a reason for living. We have peace because God is working in and through us. He says, cast all your anxious thoughts. Cast all your worries upon Him. Pray. Keep your eyes focused on the God of peace. And he will place in your heart peace that surpasses all understanding. You say, David, I know you're telling me that God is big. I know you're telling me all this scripture. I know you're sharing all this, but you don't know my circumstances. And I want to say, but you don't know my God. See, too often we say, God is all this, but my circumstances. It's time for us to say, here's my circumstances, but God. 
And he's going to give me peace when I walk through the most difficult days of life. I love Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you are with me. Church, if, if, if you need peace in your heart, just dwell for a moment on the fact that God is with you. And let me remind you, he's the God of peace. His son is the prince of peace. The Holy Spirit brings about peace through his fruit that is uh, bared through our life by abiding and dwelling in him. So we see that we must know God and have peace with God. We see that we have peace in our heart when we have peace with God. But here comes the real practical. We're called to have peace with men and peace with others. It's that horizontal beam of the cross. But let me just say this. You can't be reconciled. You can't have peace with others until you have peace with God. Let me just say that again. You cannot be reconciled to others until you have peace with God. Until you have been reconciled to God, you will never find true peace with others. And you say, but David, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, if peace is a divine work of the Holy Spirit, then how can one who is not at peace with God, being filled by the Holy Spirit, how can one truly walk in peace? How can somebody truly be a peacemaker if they're not connected to the true source? But we are called to be at peace with others. A verse that is often difficult for us to uh, memorize or maybe it's difficult to place into our life is Romans 12, 18 through 21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, I think that it's important, go back for me on verse 18 there. I think it's important for us to see as far as it depends on you, not the other person. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, do we recognize that if possible, so far as it depends on us, we are to be at peace with all people. Hebrews 12 even calls us to pursue peace. It's an actively seeking out peace. So I wrote out a few practical from the scripture ways for us to pursue peace with all people. How do we pursue peace with others? Now this is directly you and someone else. In a minute we'll talk about when two people are struggling and you're a peacemaker. First, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1.19 tells us, this you know, my brethren, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Is it not interesting that one of the most difficult things that we deal with in our life is interrupting others? Have you ever interrupted somebody? You know, I used to interrupt all the time because 
though I didn't realize it, I was ultimately saying that my thoughts are better or more important than you continuing your thoughts. Church, we must be people who don't interrupt but listen. In doing so, we're telling them that their thoughts are important. In doing so, you're showing them that you're listening and hearing what they're saying. I'll never forget a dear friend of mine who shared these words with me, and I'll never forget them. It's better to forget what you're going to say than to interrupt someone. It's better to forget what you are going to say than to interrupt somebody. Because when you interrupt them, you're saying, hey, what I have is more important than you finishing what you're saying. But if you're willing to even forget, I'm not saying that you have to forget, I'm saying that that you sit in there listening long enough that you may actually forget. That's better than interrupting them because you're showing them and listening. You're humbling yourself in that moment. Now, we're trying to teach our kids at a young age, which is why if my daughter or son comes up to me while I'm speaking with somebody, you'll see her place her hand on my shoulder. And she knows not to interrupt, but she puts her hand on my arm or on my shoulder to let me know as dad, hey dad, I need to speak with you, but I'm not going to interrupt you. I often will put my hand on her hand to let her know I recognize you're right there and I will get to you as soon as I finish this conversation with this person. Now my kids always know that if it's an emergency, they can interrupt. But sometimes, and my daughter's in the room today, so she's about to learn a secret here. Sometimes when my daughter places her arm on my shoulder or on my arm, and I'm talking to somebody, I'll make sure that that conversation goes a long time. But why? Because I want her to grow knowing daddy's here. It's okay to wait. It's patient. You're being very respectful and you're allowing dad to listen to the need or the person that is speaking. So we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Church, I guarantee you that if we would just be slow to speak, it would save us a lot of grief in life. I heard a a friend tell me one time that even a fish wouldn't get caught if he wouldn't open his mouth. (laughs) The next practical about Pursuing peace with others is the removal of self. It's the removal of self. It's recognizing that it can't be simply your preference, your idea. It's saying, God, I'm going to remove self for you to move in in this situation. A true peacemaker is one who says that peace with a brother or sister is way more important than selfish motives and selfish things. A true peacemaker is one who will self-examinate as well, step back from it and ask God to show them things in their life that may be causing this situation. Psalm 139, the last two verses, some of my favorite verses. Search me and know me, O Lord. Show me any evil way about me. Sometimes we're so quick to react that we don't step back and say, God, help me see. You know my heart better than I know my heart. Another way that we are called, practical ways of making peace with somebody that we are either frustrated with, angered, hurt, is to let go of the defenses. To let go of the defenses. As long as you're 
defensive the whole time, you're not going to truly be able to hear what the person's speaking. I always share that in a boxing match, if you're sitting there and you're, you're blocking the punches and you're just doing this the whole time, you're too focused on this to hear what's being said. You're not being able to make eye contact. You're not being able to hear. But so often, we're already building up our defense. Let me tell you, God knows you and that's all that matters. Let me say that again. God knows you. He knows your heart. He's the one that we seek to please in all things. And that's what ultimately matters. Church, we must be willing to say, I'm going to stop from defense to be able to at least hear. I'm not saying that you don't correct things that are uh, false and and things that are lies, but what I am telling you is that if you're so quick to defend, you're never going to be able to hear what the person is speaking. We must be willing to humble ourselves to seek forgiveness. I've shared it a hundred times. I'll say it another time. At our house, you don't say you're sorry. You should be sorry. At our house, you ask for forgiveness. Because there's a big difference in me saying I'm sorry and me humbling myself to say, would you forgive me? Now, you think that's difficult. Try doing that with your 10-year-old or 7-year-old. Looking at a 5-year-old and saying, hey, would you, will you forgive me for that? What I did was wrong. Would you forgive me for my outburst of anger, my frustration? Would you forgive me? We are also called to offer forgiveness to those who have offended us. Church, I've told you over and over, and I shared it a couple weeks ago, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you don't forgive others, it's like pouring yourself a vial of poison, excuse me, pouring them a vial of poison and you drinking it yourself. We must humble ourselves to be willing to offer forgiveness to others. Oh, but it continues. We're also required to go to the person avoidance is not peacemaking. Let me say it again. Avoidance is not peacemaking. Some of y'all are like, David, I don't like this. If Jesus avoided the problem, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Avoidance is not peacemaking. Even going out of your way to pursue peace. Church, Paul spoke here in Romans and said, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. In Matthew, Jesus says that if you have an ought against your brother and you're at the altar, you leave that on the altar and you go deal with your brother, then come back. Avoidance is not peacemaking. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. I've been quoting him a lot lately. Says that you can postpone war by appeasement but it usually means that you're doing something that is unjust and unrighteous in order to avoid war. The mere avoidance of war does not make peace. It does not solve the problem. The mere avoidance of war does not make peace. It does not solve the problem. And then the classic excuse, y'all ready? But I don't want to offend them. I don't want to offend my brother or sister. I don't want them to get upset. I don't want them to get mad. All right, so... Just being very transparent with you here. When you say that, we are ultimately taking on our shoulders something that God never called us to put on our shoulders. I am not responsible for somebody else's actions. I am only responsible before God for my actions. 
Galatians 6, God will not be mocked. You shall reap what you sow. It doesn't say that those who go and, and, and with a gentle spirit and a heart of peace to seek peace with a brother or sister and they cause them and that they, they, they become frustrated. It doesn't say, well, then, then you shall receive that. They are responsible for how they act. And so often as we place their emotions and feelings and how they're going to respond on our shoulders, we are called to do what the Lord, the Bible, has called us to do. If we have an ought with a brother, we place it down with gentleness, love, peace. We go to that brother and we share with them. We pray that they can receive it. We pray that they can hear your heart. We pray that they will recognize that, that, that you're humbling yourself as, as Christ humbled himself and made peace for us to God. But if you're sitting there and saying, well, I know they won't receive this, how do you know that? How do you know what God's doing in their heart? Church, when we know God... We know peace. He's the God of peace. We have peace in our heart. And we have peace with others who are against us. But now let's look for a moment at peacemakers. Peacemakers. We are called as children of God to be peacemakers. Peacemaking is a divine work. It's the work of God the Father sending the Son, Jesus dying, rising again, the Holy Spirit raising Him from the dead. For us to be true peacemakers, here it is, we must abide. We must delight. We must dwell in Christ. John 15, those who abide in me will bear what? Fruit. Galatians 5 tells us what those fruits are or what that fruit is. Love, joy, peace. It's a divine work that we are called to do by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. We are not controlled. Uh, we are not in control of the results. We're in control of, of going and speaking with the Holy Spirit doing it in and through us. So there's two ways of peacemaking. One, or A, we're called to share the gospel. Church, there are people all over Mobile and across the nation and world who do not know Jesus and therefore they are not at peace with God. For us to be peacemakers means that we're going to be men and women sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace. Why is it called the gospel of peace? Because sinners have a way to be at peace with God through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God's making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled, to come to peace with God. And then he speaks of this peace as made through, through Jesus as the propitiation of our sin. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, do we recognize, do we recognize that to be a peacemaker is to share the gospel? To be a peacemaker is to share with others how they can be at peace with God. 
The second thing that we see is that individuals against individuals, we're called to be peacemakers when two individuals or groups are against one another. Look at what it says in these two passages in Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Paul, to the Ephesian saints in Ephesians 2.14, speaking to the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, he says, For he himself is our what? Peace. Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing what? Peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By it, having put to death the enmity. Church, we are called to come alongside two groups of people, two individuals, and speak peace into that moment. But let me give you some practical things here. One, you cannot have a biasness in that. For you to speak peace in that moment, you cannot come from a biased perspective. To speak peace in that moment also requires you listening to both groups, people. But here's the key to the whole thing. We must view every conflict through the lens of the gospel. We must not plant our flag in this individual or in this individual. In this group or in this group. We must plant our flag in the gospel. The scripture tells us that none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have a struggle, even as believers, with the flesh, because the flesh and the spirit are warring against each other day and night. So if we are going to be peacemakers... The only way is to plant our flag in the gospel, which is reconciliation, which is seeing that, that without reconciled to God first, without having a heart that has peace because God is their peace, until people get to that place, how can they reconcile with one another? Until they're willing to let go of the self, the selfishness, the hurt, the pain, you hurt me, you did this, you did that. Listen, we must walk in forgiveness. How are they going to understand that until we focused in on the gospel? We forgive because Christ first forgave us. We love because he loved us. We are an example of Christ. Jesus himself in Ephesians 4 says, excuse me, in Ephesians 2.14, Jesus says that he is our peace. Which means by grace, through faith in Christ, God made it possible for us all people to live in peace with one another. The worst thing that could happen, church, is for us to tell people that we're a church, we're a body of Christ, and we're not at peace. If a church is not at peace, they're reflecting the world, they're not reflecting Christ. If a church is at odds with one another for whatever reason, 
They're reflecting the world, not Christ. And in turn, they're not sharing the gospel. Because they're telling people that you can be at peace with God without being at peace with one another. So we see here in this passage, blessed are the peacemakers. We're called to be at peace with God. We're called to have peace in our heart. We're called to be at peace with others. We're called to be actively making peace by sharing the gospel and by being there for one another and helping people see in the gospel in the midst of their circumstances that they may be in peace together. And then it says this, here's the reward, you ready? For they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. Man, this is powerful. Now, just as we talked every week, let me just be very careful to say this. It does not mean that if you're a peacemaker, then you earn your way to be a son of God. It says they shall be called sons of God. John 1, 12 through 13 says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who have been born of God, reborn, those who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, they shall be called children of God. That's who we are, church. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I laid in my bed the last few nights looking up at the ceiling, just dwelling on the fact that I get to call him Father. I get to call him Abba, Father. For those who have gone to Israel with me, I've already told you one of the coolest moments was when this, uh, this Jewish man was walking in a hotel and his son, probably about seven, eight years old, was about ten steps behind him shouting, Abba, Abba. Church, I pray that it overwhelms you that the creator God of the universe calls you his children. Just let that sit in for a moment. But as children, as children, we're called to reflect his image. We're called to reflect his image. Now my son's in the children's area. He's seven years old. I would ask him to come up here, but he's not in the room right now. If my son came up here, you would say, you know, there's resemblances between you and him. How many of you would say that there's resemblance between you and your children? Right? Everybody probably raise their hand at least some point. I want you to hear this. Sam, or Samuel, my son, Samuel David, reflects my image, not because he's attempting to be my son, but because he is my son. Sam doesn't reflect a piece of my image with hopes and desires to be my son. He reflects my image in some ways because he is my son. Church, what a blessing. We are called to reflect the image and character of God by the feeling of the Holy Spirit in and through us. It's called sanctification. We remove more of the flesh and people see more of Christ in and through us. They see Christ in and through us, not because we're attempting to be God's son, but because we are his children. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
It says in John 1, it says that we are called the children of God. So I'll close with this. We're called to be peacemakers. It starts with being in peace with God. Then we're called to be at peace with others. And then we're called to bring, be makers of peace, go and take peace to the world. But you can only do that if you're reflecting His image. You can only do that if your focus is on the Father. I pray today that we would be known as peacemakers. That we'd be known as the sons, the children of God here at Luke 4.18. Because for as much as it depends on us, we're at peace with all people. And we want to take the peace of God to all those around. Let's pray.